The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Let's do it. So I want to be the very best. Like no one ever was. I do. I do not, actually. I am not a highly competitive person. Oh, I my family can't play any games at our house. Like, at all. Like, oh, we aren't allowed to. I take that back. I like playing games, but just to dick around with everyone else. Oh, like if we no. Play, if, we, if we play Munchkin, I just like, I just like <laughs> hey, hey, you got an extra Munchkin, you got an extra monster to fight, ha huh? Yeah, no, we're, um. My family is deeply, deeply, deeply competitive. Like all four of us, we can't play. The only we can do escape rooms because then we're all a team, but we can't do a single board game without like everyone being angry for the next five hours. <laughs> uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Science of Pokemon. I'm Professor Collins. Joining me today is Fisherman Don. We are here with the main show. I don't know if are, are we really segueing that we're a main show and a and a and a and Lucas lectures now? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, I guess that's a, <laughs> that's what that's our life now. <laughs> he, he keeps saying it on his on his side of the pond. Oh, Lucas! But we are the science Pokemon, and I'm so happy to have you guys joining us today. Very very special treat today. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Jennifer Pope in Ireland, who is a works in child development. And we're going to talk about essentially how children would develop in the Pokemon world and real world examples of, you know, the same type of upbringing that we see in the Pokemon world in our world. So I, I, you guys are in for a treat. This is going to be great. So cue the music. Because we do news, because that's apparently a thing now. <laughs> it's been for it's a all year real now. news too. It's tremendous. Yeah. It's the best news. <laughs> it's all of the news, all the time. <laughs> if I all the time, I mean like once every roughly two weeks for five minutes. <laughs> um, so you had some cool science news, and I will piggyback on you. What did you want to talk about? All right. So the first frog fossil from Antarctica has been found. Ooh. This, uh, they found a the fragments of a frog's hip bone and skull in some 40 million year old sediment yeah, 40 million year old sediment collected from Seymour Island which is near the tip of the Antarctic Peninsula yeah you know I I know uh, I think it was sci-fi was talking about you know how I mean Antarctica used to be a rainforest yes it was like a very tropical marshy yes. rainforest thing and, and that's one of the ways we know that about continental drift is that or one of the good pieces of evidence we have is that, you know, we know that Antarctica, which is now ice, was tropical. <laughs> yeah. And this is cool because previously we had evidence of that there's like, watch Walking with Dinosaurs. It's sweet. Everyone should watch it. There are the giant salamander guys back in the day, big triangle headed dudes during the Triassic period that we had evidence that they lived in the Antarctica. This was the first evidence of like a modern amphibian and they believe the the bones of the frog indicate that it belongs to the family uh let me take a shot shot at it here oh calyptocephalidae or helmeted frogs which are 
found in modern South America. The frogs' modern ancestors live today in the uh, central uh, Andes in Chile, which suggests similar conditions existed in the Antarctic about 50 or 40 million years ago. So good for it. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's, uh, that, that's cool. I think that's great. Antarctica may become a, you know, may become tropical again. <laughs> that's good. Those penguins got to come into them all smug, strutting around. <laughs> I oh, I hope not. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Pokemon news because I know we both have one. Uh, why don't you? Go, or I'll go first. Go for uh, it. For those of you who don't know, as of this morning, because we're recording this, and news always happens when we record, they announced the next anime series called Pokemon Journeys, and it's going to be exclusively on Netflix. So, and it's going to drop 12 episodes at a time every few months. Do we months. know, like, is it going to be, like, set in the, like, in the Sword and Shield area, or do we know any of that So, yet? I mean, it's the one that's been airing in Japan. It is... Okay. It's essentially, so why it's called Journeys, it's Ash and a new trainer named Go, and the two of them travel the entire world, so they go to various regions, but they're, like, preparing for, like, a world tournament similar to Sword and Shield. Sweet. Yeah. I mean, I'm, on, I'm excited because we've talked about some of the cool Pokemon Ash has gotten, and Go has Score Bunny, and my my two year old loves Score. Poor guy. Whatever. He actually he's actually like really abusive to Score Bunny in the anime. The dude, the Go, he's like really abusive and like like almost kicks kicks it out of his team. <laughs> oh really? So, yes. Like <laughs> he's like I don't like you. <laughs> Poor Score Bunny. Poor Score Bunny indeed. All right. So what was your uh, your your news? So, for as relevant as it is, because, I mean, we're not really going to events, which is probably for, I mean, it's for the best, but also a bummer at the same time. Uh, Series 4, I guess, is starting soon for VGC. From what I read vaguely the other day, we are going to have... Yeah, I mean, it's basically we're going to get some more G-Maxes added. I think Machamp, Duraludon, and I... Nothing, like, super useful. Um, hey, well, yeah, no, so G-Max Duraludon is bad. Yeah, it was Machamp. Machamp, Machamp's gonna have some. Someone's gonna make some stupid Togekiss always crit team, and it's gonna be awful. You can use like Togekiss and other things with various unfortunateness. And then I think we're also getting Gengar, which is kind of oh, cool. Yeah, um, since right. it doesn't really, it personally doesn't really care about the defense drops from Max Ghost. And I'm sure there's gonna be some super fun Parish teams that are gonna use it. So it's gonna be real fun. It's gonna be a good time. But I do kind of look forward to Gengar, and I do look forward to like. The various if anyone can make Duraludon work at all, like more power to them. It's G-Max Duraludon is not. It's it's I think it's just minus like four PP. Yes. Yeah, and you're trading. I think is it Wormwind for that? I thought it was off of its Steel. Move. Oh, so Steel Spike. Okay, that might even be worse actually. Yes. So like... Yeah, I thought it was off the Steel move. I thought so. I could be wrong. I, I haven't used it because once I heard what it did, I was like, yeah. Yeah, it's questionable at best. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, it's sad and all, but don't forget, we're gonna season five is gonna. What is season five? five even? Series five will be when the um, it should be series five when the next when the uh when the the download drops. Oh yes, that'll be neat. When we get the expanded Pokedex, yeah, that'll be fun. I I like that things are slowly changing. I think that's cool. I, yeah, that's kind of neat. Well, and you know, and it, it's unfortunate we don't get to play. Um, they did actually just cancel. I think it was two days ago. The the Japan uh, championships. I thought you were about to talk about the Juggalos. <laughs> no, the Japan championships. No, the, the Juggalos did cancel their events this summer, which is more responsible than some organizations and states. <laughs> R.I.P. to any Juggalo fans, though. Uh, my heart goes out to you. 
Do we legitimately have though, when the juggalos are more responsible than the U.S. federal government, oh, what world am I living in right now? But anyways, yeah, you know, so I, it, it sucks that things are canceled, but I mean, what a cool. I hope that, I hope that Game Freak or Pokemon or TP, sorry, TPCI realizes how cool it is having these years with like rotating rule sets. Is it cool? I think so, because it changes every few months. I guess. I think my I'm just a little soured, because, like, as long as they stay even, it was like... I liked last year's one, and then Ultra Series lasted forever, which made me like it less. It, it, it kind of dragged on there and there. <laughs> yeah, it started to a bit. Yeah, well, and they haven't done that with this series, which I think is cool. But no, it's... it's it's. I mean, like, for parents, like for me, building teams with Lila, it's kind of a pain in the butt. It's like every few weeks you're building a new team. But yeah. for her, it's cool because every few weeks you can add something new to your team. That's true. I mean, the excitement she got when, when Incineroar dropped, she was like, oh, <gasps> and she was thrilled. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> it's also one of her favorites, though, to be fair. To be fair, yeah. The Easter Bunny did bring her an Incineroar shirt. All three of them got Pokemon shirts from the Easter Bunny. <laughs> or our lovely friends at Tee Public, who sponsored our charity event last year. <laughs> oh, that is good. Yes. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to the interview. We got a great one, and let's jump in with Dr. Pope. Let's go. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, so we're joined today with our special guest, Dr. Jennifer Pope, all the way from across the pond over in Ireland. Uh, Dr. Pope, who are you and what is it exactly that you study? Okay. Hi, Matt. My name is Jennifer Pope and I'm a university lecturer in Limerick in Ireland, in Mary Macla College in Ireland. And I'm particularly interested in children's health and well-being and I suppose the factors that impact on their health and well-being and on their development. And I've been involved in lots of different research projects. Uh, looking at things like children's outdoor play and how children learn and develop in different countries as well. Now, you know, it's always amusing to me because I worked at, I don't know if you're familiar, I worked at a Reggio Emilia style preschool years ago. I don't know if you know Reggio Emilia yes, in Italy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's always so amusing to me because I mean, those kids by the age of three are self-sufficient. You know, they build things outdoors. And then I look at like some of the public schools and I have worked in schools where like, you know, a few flakes of snow and they're like, children cannot go outside. It is a threat to their health. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people would say there's no such thing as bad weather. It's just bad clothing. And I know in Scandinavian (laughs) countries, that's what they would believe, that the children will be outside. Um, you know, a lot of the preschools, most of the preschools, the children will be outside learning most of the time. Uh, and it'd be very rare for them to be indoors sometimes. Um, and certainly in Reggio Emilia, there's very much a community spirit there as well, where children and adults work together and children are seen as very rich, strong, powerful, capable individuals rather than weak and vulnerable and needing to be really looked after and protected. They're seen as being very capable and that's nurtured right from the start. 
Yeah, well, and that falls into, and I'm God, I'm gonna geek out on this this discussion. <laughs> uh, I mean, that falls into a lot of the, the social uh, constructivist pedagogies too. The idea of, of shared learning, and there's a lot of neuro and cognitive research to really support those ideas. Uh, and that's you know that's something I enjoy too in the classroom. I think it's great for kids to to learn together and to really have that explorative uh, option. I have to say, I was actually one of the, one of the few times I've been impressed this school year. My daughter's school, they actually do send them out all winter. I didn't know that, but that they, as long as the kids bring like hats and gloves, I was like, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a rarity. Yeah. And I think actually being outdoors just gives you know a whole range of other learning experiences that children can't get when they're inside and that freedom, exploration, sensory experiences, and also, you know, just much more kind of opportunities for social development with their friends, running around, making up their own games uh, and their own rules for games and outdoor play. Um, children, it tends to be less adult structured and uh, adult initiated so that gives children a lot of opportunities then to kind of develop uh, cognitive and problem solving approaches as well to, which are important. I was say I know some of our listeners may not have the same background as you or I. Um, I don't personally no. even so yes. <laughs> okay so essentially then Don what, 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 what we're translating is that what we know is that children who have these opportunities to, like she was talking about, where you're creating rules for games, when you do have those opportunities at a young age, what research has shown is that as these children mature, they are better suited at handing social problems because they've already okay. developed the skills. Yeah, it's like conflict resolution skills, but for three-year-olds. <laughs> so, I mean, just like any other skill, the more time you've had to practice it, the better you are. Okay, I'm on board. Yeah. So, and that's, yeah, you know, you and I are talking the same language, Dr. Pope. I love it. Um, so I brought, we brought you on though, because we want to talk about the Pokemon world. So, and I, I, I want to ask this. So why would talking about child development help us understand the Pokemon world? How, how would you answer that question? Okay, well, first of all, Matt, I need to come clean and confess that I'm not an expert in the Pokemon world. But... <laughs> But I have consulted with real life experts in my own home with my own children. And we've been having some really interesting conversations lately about, I suppose, child development and uh, Pokemon and uh, technology and the different lives that children lead around the world. Um, okay. And I'm, I suppose I'm also very conscious that at the moment, as we're recording this, you know, Around the world, children are growing up and very, having very different cultural experiences. But there's one commonality now for us at the moment, and this glo we're living with this global pandemic. So I think now's the time to share different experiences that and different lifestyles that children have around the world. Uh, and I think we can learn a lot from each other. Uh, but it's interesting that, you know, in different cultures, children might have different levels of freedom, usually. But that has all maybe changed in a lot of countries now because we are on, certainly where we're living here in Ireland, we're on kind of a, a lockdown, practicing social distancing and the schools are all shut. 
Um, so it's quite a different uh, lifestyle for uh, many people and many children around the world at the moment. Well, we just... Um... But- We've been talking to our daughters about that, too, because this is like the moment that will define their childhood. Yeah, this this really is. It's a defining moment for them. Uh, And you're right. Like it's it's limiting the opportunities. That they would normally have to be children. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's when, you know, really there are a lot of benefits to being in the Pokemon world at the moment because we can go on journeys <laughs> uh, and you know we may not be having those physical real life journeys at the moment but uh, within we're restricted to about two miles from our home as, 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 as far as we can travel at the moment and it's only for essential travel but in the, the Pokemon world you know we can go on these virtual journeys and yes. I think that that is important for children uh, that sense of adventure exploration and freedom uh, that they may not have in, in their lives at the moment. I think Pokemon World is really might be really useful to give them that sense of adventure and freedom. Uh, so, okay. and I think there's a lot we can, I suppose, uh, explore. Different people in different parts of the world may have different ideas about child development um, and what's best for children, and maybe or maybe question some of the. Um, ideas in the Pokemon world and so I think it's important to look at child development from different perspectives to see yes, and that, you know so yeah, that to leads see me to my how we question. can understand the Pokemon world yeah sorry I interrupted you there no you're good you're like you're like jumping you're jumping out of me I love it <laughs> <laughs> like words are popping in my head and they're coming out of your mouth I love it um, no okay. but like so I want I want to I do want to ask though because in the Pokemon world the children go off at, at on their own at age of 10 like we all you know we've seen the reddit jokes like the the memes about you know Pokemon world you know the parents are bad parents or you know the the other one, the inappropriate ones about Professor Oak making the move on your mom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, 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 you know, is there precedent for children being let out on their own in our world? Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting because um, you were saying there about kind of jokes coming from maybe a westernized lens, a westernized culture. And I wonder, perhaps in other cultures, they actually might be simultaneously making jokes about uh, <laughs> bad parents who are overprotecting their yes. children or hothousing or bubble wrapping uh, children. <laughs> and so they might be actually laughing at us. And we think, you know, we, we think we might have the upper hand. Um, so I think that's quite interesting because in many cultures, children ha- would have significant, significantly uh, much more freedom than in certain westernized cultures. Uh, and so we're often accused, I think, of overprotecting our children. Uh, and perhaps it's time maybe for us to reflect on how we're trying to make the world as safe as possible for young children, as opposed to as safe as necessary. And that maybe children need uh, opportunities or experiences to deal with some level of risk and to develop uh, coping strategies and to develop a sense of resilience. So certainly in countries um, now, not um, I suppose we can, we can make generalizations, but certainly in Japan or in Germany, for example, or in, in Denmark and Copenhagen, for example, 
10 year old children would maybe go home from school or after school themselves um, or take public transport uh, and that would be seen as you know a nor a normal thing to do and they would be shown you know where to go and how to come home and so uh, it, it's not it wouldn't be a case of neglect but they'd be given a certain level of responsibility and autonomy that 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 culture would feel is uh, is suitable for for children okay yeah no i mean that's that's what i think of i think of like especially in japan like sometimes the kids as young as you know seven taking public transit it's it's really just a cultural norm and it's not like you know they have some high rate of child child abductions <laughs> yeah so i think and and what you have in 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 certain cultures then would be you know adults and other children would be looking out for each other and they're not perceived as being uh dangerous strangers they're seen as you know, other citizens in society and not seen as, not everybody isn't seen as a threat to, yeah. to children. I love your answers. They're very detailed. I, I have a lot of questions to ask you. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, I do just You're good. talk a lot. Sorry. I, <laughs> I do too. It's great. You're great. Uh, but so anyway, so in the anime, we, we see, you know, there's always children traveling together and Ash has, you know, there's always that one companion, some, you know, it was Brock or Silen, you know, there's always that one companion who's a little bit older and is knowledgeable, you know, are there examples in the real world where children, you know, kind of live in similar situations where they, they kind of care for each other like that? Well, absolutely. And I think that, you know, having um, mixed age groups together is really beneficial for children and I know at the at the start you mentioned about Reggio Emilia and there would be a strong emphasis there on children learning from each other and older children working together with younger children and that idea of I suppose social constructivism as a learning theory that we learn from each other Um, and certainly in some Steiner schools for example as well you know you would have mixed age groups where children and adults will work together and learn from each other. Um, and often kind of after school clubs, in, as I mentioned in uh, Copenhagen, for example, after school clubs would have mixed age groups where children would all kind of hang out and, and work together. And um, I think that would be quite normal um, in a lot of cultures where you'd have older children bringing, and they wouldn't necessarily be siblings, but would just be maybe other other children, they'd be looking after them uh, and taking care of them. And again, it goes back to that idea of levels of responsibility that we were talking about earlier on. Yeah. Um, and, prom- you know, promoting responsibility and not just care of self, but care of others as well. Yeah. Well, and I, I know that there are, you know, even some cultures like... Uh in certain Polynesian countries where, you know, children during the day are, are responsible for watching one another. And I, you know, I, I think we're, we're often quick to judge, especially, you know, as you said, like with that Western viewpoint, but the fact is, is that, you know, these children around the world with these different cultures turn out okay to meet their cultural norms. Like they're not defunct. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think sometimes we 
we tend to only maybe see the world from our own perspective um, and, you know, what we expect from children. Uh, we think that that should be common elsewhere, but actually, you know, that may not be what other cultures need from their children or expect from their children. Yeah. Okay. So I, I have another question. Um, I'm, I, in the, in the Pokemon world, you know, sometimes it seems like children are expected to be more responsible or, or autonomous. Yeah. Now, is is this is this is there a precedent for this? Are there examples of this in the real world as well, where, where children are expected to be more autonomous than we would assume, like in Western cultures? Absolutely, and I think that you know we've looked at some of we've talked about some of those examples already, and I I keep mentioning Copenhagen because we we I did a comparative study with Ireland okay. uh, and Copenhagen and children in after school facilities, and certainly you know there is a strong emphasis uh, there on children being responsible citizens, you know right from early childhood there uh, this uh, this concept of being a responsible citizen is kind of instilled in young children uh, from early on. And this sense of them, I suppose, being responsible for their own actions and also being part of this uh, bigger uh, democracy, if you like, and, uh, and their role as responsible citizens right from early on is, is nurtured. Uh, and I think that in terms of levels of autonomy or responsibility for children, I think it goes back to our vision or our, our expectations of children. And this can differ from culture to culture. Um, and I think we need to be careful because in the US and the UK and in Ireland at the moment, we're talking a lot about you know, an increase in mental health issues with children and young adults. And we're beginning to see that we may need to look at how we are developing resilience in young children and building resilience needs to start in early childhood. And in order to build that resilience and those coping skills, then children need to be given opportunities for trial and error. They need to be given opportunities where there's some level of risk and where they may make mistakes, but they can try again and um, develop those coping skills. Uh, and I think that is important. Um, you know, we're hearing, I don't know if you're talking about it in the US, but this idea of a snowflake generation um, yeah. where, where people, uh, young children are, you know, finding it difficult to cope with adversity. To be fair, though, like, see, I've gotten in arguments with this with people about this. <laughs> to be fair, every single generation that has ever existed has said, like, almost the exact same thing about younger generations. <laughs> I mean, literally the greatest generation said it about boomers. Boomers said it about Gen Xers. Like it, it's, there's even like, there are, there are political cartoons showing that to be like the same thing in the 1920s. People, people tend to just complain about younger generations. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think it makes I, them feel I, I, I actually, I totally agree with you. And it's funny because when we're talking about, I suppose, Pokemon and we might, go on to talk about kind of screen time and screen usage and you know if you think of people um in the previous generation maybe worried about you know the introduction of tv and before that people might have been worried about the introduction of radio you know and so yeah yeah and these cameras and things 
So I think I do I do see your point. I do see your point. Yeah. So it even goes all the way back to um, there were like uh back to like in Greek times there were some original philosophers that were upset. Oh yes. About like write, writing becoming more of a yes, thing yes, because yes. it was like they don't have to remember anymore, and that's bullshit. <laughs> was like their stance. <laughs> Uh, but that's that, that's that, yeah. that's a total truth. Is that older generations will always find something to complain about with newer generations? Absolutely, um, yep. absolutely. But I think fundamentally, though, we do need to maybe think about in our culture now how we are promoting a sense of responsibility and autonomy from early on. And tier- theorists would have been saying that for a long, long time. That's not a new a new concept. You know, and even in terms of Maria Montessori would have, you know, in her um, model of curriculum would be would have encouraged children to engage in practical life skills um, and, you know, trial and error and figuring things out for themselves and trying to figure out what went wrong. You know, if the um, the pieces in the, the jigsaw puzzle don't all fit together then how do I sort that out? And not necessarily needing an adult initially to point out that they don't fit. You know, um, so I think it is important that we do have opportunities for children to, um, you know, explore, experiment, and try and figure things out for themselves. Whereas sometimes adults might be very quick to kind of jump in and fix things for children. And I think we do maybe need to step, take a step back at times and let um, kind of mistakes happen and, and figure out how, uh, how, to be, how to resolve those mistakes for children themselves as well. You know, Don, you're being, you're being awfully quiet tonight. <laughs> Cat got your tug. Yeah, everything's fine. I'm sorry. I just made it in my own head a little bit tonight. But I also just like, I am interested in the, interested in it. I just know utterly nothing. So I feel like I don't have a lot put yourself in the, the shoes of the listener ask ask their questions all right i will they're, attempt that moving forward they're counting on you be, be the oh, they should, they, should ne- they should never do that that was their first mistake only ask the easy questions though <laughs> <laughs> hi the dr it's Pope. very it's very um, late in the evening here for how do you hard questions <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so speaking about child development though, like, and I do want to talk about this for a minute because, and I think you made some good points here that essentially, and I never thought about it this way until like just now as we're talking about it, like the Pokemon world is kind of like child developmental, you know, theorist, like dream. (laughs) I mean, you have all these autonomous children taking risk, exploring, learning about other cultures, you know, learning to do things like budget, yeah <laughs> like learning real world skills with act with you know with application i never thought about it that way and 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 that's that's genuinely like like a lot of that's that's the idea behind a lot of the theories of child development and and, and child psychology but i wanted to ask you so like in the us we have a very different view of how to raise children even compared to you guys in europe and and asia especially you know in south america is there evidence you know that different styles produce different results or is there evidence that like one method's more beneficial or is there any evidence that one method may actually hinder development well 
I don't think it's as simple as saying one way to raise a child may be better than another. Um, okay. Because I think it really depends on what our expectations for children are and how we value childhood and our, our vision of children and I suppose our vision of uh, citizens in our society in the future as well. So what what we want children to become as well. Um, and so those kind of expectations or values are, are embedded in our culture and they're kind of shaped by many factors, you know. So if we want or if we need children to grow up to be hunter gatherers uh, um, or to be kind of farmers, you know, then we need them to have experiences and develop those skills from early childhood. Um, Similarly, if we want children to be creative problem solvers, then we need to give them those opportunities to explore and to experiment and to think for themselves, you know. So, you know, there are different kind of, I suppose, um, frameworks in terms of child development. So, you know, Bronfen Brenner's bioecological framework which sounds very fancy but basically he that's just saying that there's lots of different factors operating in different systems uh, from the child themselves to their family unit to their local community or to a national or a global level and all these different factors might influence how a child develops in a particular context um, and that can be kind of there can be historical factors as well there so, yeah, I, yeah, so, I, I think yeah. I think you just kind of put a point in my head that I didn't even contemplate until just now. And so I want to thank you. But I guess then essentially that the way we rear children essentially reflects the culture they're in and the values that that culture holds holds true. So like Japan, having children be responsible and handle social interactions is a big deal because social interactions is a huge part of that culture. And so then I think about like Scandinavian countries or Finland, having children explore and learn to solve problems together is important because those are, you know, those are, we call those the democratic socialist countries Mm -hmm. in America, we call them that, but you know, whatever, (laughs) but, but their focus is always on the whole and solving problems together. And I guess thinking about it, like, I guess it kind of fits then that, you know, the way we rear children in America genuinely then reflects our own values of individualism and like competitiveness. And I know, I know that's a weird thing too. I I went to international college and I had friends from, from Japan. I had a lot of friends from Japan. I don't know how I lived in the international dorm, but I just ended up meeting a lot of Japanese kids. Yeah. Um, But I remember one of them and I were talking and or a few of them, and they were baffled by how competitive sports are at a young age in America. And I guess that really does reflect on, like, on our cultural values as a country. Like, we are, we we really put a lot of emphasis on competitiveness, almost almost as a religion at times. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. That that maybe is not one is more beneficial than the other, but they're more reflective of what society demands of the child is that is that correct yeah and also i suppose historically and socially um those values haven't just appeared today you know they've been ingrained and developed within the culture over time as well Um, yeah and then maybe significant kind of life events have also impacted so being say in a world war for example might um 
impact on how we view children in the future for example that happened in the UK and after World War II um, and also I think even if we look at even how um, kind of in the early 20th century in in urban cities like um, in, in Dublin in Ireland for example and the UK um, that sometimes public playgrounds for example were set up for children uh, mainly to keep the streets safe for adults because the children were running around and engaging in kind of um uh kind of boisterous play and vandalism and things like that so they actually set up playgrounds to almost to keep the children off the streets to protect you, you the mean streets. like if you provide children with opportunities to keep busy they don't get in trouble <laughs> Yeah, so um, no way. Yeah, so um, so these um, I suppose our ideas around children and childhood they don't just they're not just parachuted in that they're kind of historical and sociocultural and have developed over time, um, and I think that that's I suppose important to note as well that we can't just decide all of a sudden we're going to adopt a, a different approach to children, um overnight and obviously yeah. within cultures different families might have different parenting styles different approaches so we can we can't make huge sweeping generalizations but certainly these cultural our attitudes towards children have developed uh, historically you know and so I think sometimes in the UK and Ireland we had maybe traditionally children should be seen and not heard for example um, and sometimes we 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 don't subscribe to that now per se, but sometimes that is kind of deep rooted in in our psyche as a culture. I mean, it's well. Pokemon Trainer Red. He doesn't talk. Yeah, so <laughs> he's seen but not heard. But Red's like so successful that he would like back up that he's done really well for himself. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I guess I guess that my only thing then my my last question before before uh, we we wrap this up is actually to Don. <laughs> Go for it. Do you have any questions about any of this? Oh God, um, I, I'm I'm trying to think of like a question that's not just like utterly stupid is the thing too. All right, I'll try to tie this into a vaguely Pokemon type question also okay so um i know like i would assume there's probably a similar sort of thing um across the pond as they say where there's like programs for especially i've seen a lot of like elementary and middle school ages schools here in florida where they and i'm sure throughout america where they have like uh some sort of like livestock sort of thing oh okay uh, which so i like guess could be like yeah 4-h there we go um which i guess kind of ties into the pokemon aspect feel like that'd be a good child development sort of thing like that i assume that like raising your pokemon much like raising like so, a goat would teach good responsibility right so doc, dr pope in 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 the phrase US, it better matt wife, fixed it my, my, my <laughs> wife my wife actually did this because she grew out she grew up in the country like her parents have like acres and acres of land but in the u.s we have um one of our our, our children's like clubs like children organizations like you know like boy scouts and girl scouts we have one called 4-H, okay. where children essentially take an animal and they are expected to raise it. 
and then they present them usually at like county fairs. They're presented for like competition. Um, I know in Ohio, our governor was just talking about it the other day because we have to, I mean, we're essentially having to cancel some of our fairs because of everything going on. But I guess, yeah, I guess that's a good question there from Don. You know, the benefits in the Pokemon world, what benefits would there be for children to be around these animals all the time? Other than Megan Bank gambling (laughs) on all their fights like they do. (laughs) So, well, I think adding opportunities to kind of promote um, responsibility is really important. Um, And I think that within Pokemon, myself and my own kids, we were talking the other day about, you know, the benefits to children of playing Pokemon. Um, And, you know, we were talking about that idea of responsibility um, in Pokemon. And my son was saying, you know, well, you have to make choices and you have to then deal with the consequences Um, and you have to become responsible. And so if you pick to score buddy, uh, then you have to deal with that. Um, and uh, <laughs> you're saying something against Score Bunny? <laughs> no, no, no. He was just saying that. Yes. You know, that I got. I got. I'm, I, I'm really saying against Score Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that out there. Uh, but that there's, you know, uh, I suppose Pokemon offers, you know, a lot of experiences. Um, you know, to you know, you have to become a try to become a master you have to uh, beat the gym you have to solve puzzles strategies um and perseverance persistence um and as you say kind of um care for animals and that sense of responsibility as well so i think that they're all very important kind of life lessons um where you know in life you have to make choices decisions and live with the consequences you know, we have to take care of, you know, um, animals, but we also have to grow up to take care of each other um, and to take care of, you mentioned early on, Matt, about older children caring for younger children or working together. Yeah. And I think um, yes. we also need to look at how we care for our elderly, our, our older adults and grandparents in, in society as well. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of kind of um, experiences playing Pokemon that actually can help and benefit children navigate through through life. I think we should all be afraid of the elderly in the Pokemon world because they're all hanging out at that sauna from okay. <laughs> Ruby and Sapphire. Sorry. Oh, that's where my head went straight to the old people in the sauna, in the, uh, in the, in the hot springs. Okay. <laughs> it was a weird tangent. That's where it went, though. Uh, all right. So finally, then, if our supporters wanted to follow you or, or your work, uh, where could they do so? Okay. Well, they can follow me on uh, Twitter at, at uh, underscore pope, uh, or you can email me at jennifer.pope at mic.ul.ie. Um, and I'd be happy for people to contact me if they wanted to. Um, and I can send them links to some of my work as well. Seriously, Dr. Pope, I appreciate your time, especially because it, it is like midnight, almost 1 a.m. over there. Yeah, it's I 1 a.m. Appreciate- now. Um- <laughs> oh, 
I'm sorry. No, it's fine. My 10-year-old son is still here. He looks very <laughs> tired now, but he's still smiling um, and has enjoyed the experience. Haven't you, Christopher? Yeah. Yeah. You you know, isn't it funny though, like how how different your kids turn out? Because like I out of my three, only one of them can like, you know, stay up late, and the other two are like, you know, they just pass out. Yeah, well, my daughter is going to be super cross in the morning that she missed it. She was asleep. <laughs> we, <laughs> I know that. We won't tell her. We won't tell her. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Doctor Pope. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again sometime. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, so I just want to say, Don, I loved that question that you asked. I try to contribute one meaningful thing per podcast. <laughs> Legitimately, though, there, there, that is a great question that I feel like had you come at it from Dr. Pope's or mine perspective to this discussion, you wouldn't have come up with. And I really like that question because there actually is a lot of research showing that kids who are raised with pets are, are better developed. Are, are, are more are they more well-rounded and more emotionally developed <laughs> because it ties into empathy responsibility you know needing to take care of another living being so you brought up a really good point That's why about i turned out world. so well adjusted <laughs> yeah did you guys have a lot of pets oh yeah i still have a lot of pets we we did not have a pet until we lived with my grandparents and my well, aunts bought him a dog for his birthday that he ended up not taking care of because <laughs> he was old. Uh, well, we had a dog and then we had a bunch of random creatures. I just kept bringing home until my parents gave up and let me have them. <laughs> uh, our seven-year-old brought in a baby bunny the other day. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, what a great interview. And, and Dr. Pope, so much to say there. We'll be back next time. I, I think our next one's another animal episode. I'm, I'm like pretty certain we have a whole schedule here, guys. We I'm actually disappointed because you and I were going to record live episodes at Colossal Con and at North America Internationals. Yes. And those. Well, one's not happening and one is delayed now. Yes. One's in Labor Day weekend. Okay, well, it's a ways Uh, off, but we have. Oh, we're going to talk to a neurobiologist. That's cool. I'm excited. Yes. He studies, I think it's dragonflies. Ooh. So this is, it's going to be really cool. I think you're going to like this. And then, yeah. Uh, so we got some more animal episodes coming up in May. I think you guys are going to like that. So thank you guys for listening to this one. I know it was a little bit different from our norm, uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. So yes. we'll talk to you guys. Thanks thank for you listening. All for coming out. And we'll see you next time. Adios.